In celebration of the launch of this podcast, all of Andrea Pearson's book marketing courses are available at 50% off. Enter podcast launch, one word, at checkout. This deal expires March 24th, 2018 at midnight. Go to selfpublishedstrongcourses.com for information on currently available courses. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Self-Published Strong Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Pearson, and I'm joined today by my husband. Hi, I'm Nolan. All right, so we're recording this on, I don't know, what's the date today? March 8th? Yes. March 8th, 2018. It's my my editor's birthday. I was going to say, it's my Tristy's birthday. <laughs> it's my editor's birthday today, and I think it's been like two weeks since we last recorded, probably. About that, yeah. About, yeah, two weeks or so, maybe even two and a half weeks. We've been having a lot of crazy things going on in our lives. Um, we close on our house in a week and a half, and just trying to get everything ready mentally and emotionally. I mean, it's a it's a big thing, you know, moving, especially when half your stuff's in the storage unit and the other half's where you're currently living. Um, anyway, so this is episode number six, and we're going to be talking about Twilight. I finally finished Temple of Flames, and it used to be called Temple of Fires. I decided after making the book cover that Temple of Fire wasn't great. It didn't fit, so I changed it to Temple of Flames. I'm really glad that the word fire has so many synonyms. Makes it easier. And um, I've got... The, I got Temple Flames back to my editor, and I sent it to my street team yesterday, or was that today? I thought it was yesterday. I might have sent it to them yesterday. I can't remember. It might have been today. Did I do? I might have done edits today. Either way, so I haven't had. I haven't released anything besides little short stories since December, and we've had a little plunge in our royalties as a result, which is always exciting. Exciting, yes. Yes, very exciting. Anyway, okay, so the quote today is Thomas is by Thomas Jefferson. It says, I'm a great believer in luck. The harder I work, the more luck I have. And why'd you pick that quote? Um, I don't know. I like it. Um, it reminds me of the popcorn method. Oh, yeah. Who, who's, who's popcorn method? Uh, that was um, Kevin J. Anderson. Yeah. Which there's a video on YouTube. YouTube, if you want to watch that, it's pretty funny. He talks about typewriters, how they're like steampunk computers. Yes. Yeah. Um, anyway, search for, search for uh, Kevin J. Anderson popcorn. Yeah, popcorn theory. Popcorn theory. Yep, it's on YouTube. Um, where it's just the more you do, the more um, chances, you, uh, the more connections you make, and the more chances of success you'll have. Yeah, I like it. I like this quote. I'm going to read it again just because it helps me process things. I am a great believer in luck. The harder I work, the more luck I have. You know, all raising, all growing up, the what I heard was work hard, work smarter, not harder. But in my adulthood, I've come to learn that working smarter doesn't cut it necessarily. You need to work smarter and harder because a lot of people are willing to work smarter, but they're not willing to actually put work in. And so they... If you think too much about it, you won't work hard. Exactly. And I'm that's my thing. I'm a huge scheduler. And sometimes I'll sit and I'll... I mean, I used to. I don't do this anymore because I realized what I was doing. But I would sit and I would come up with these elaborate plans, elaborate schedules. And I love doing that. And I still love doing that. But then it would either overwhelm me completely or I'd get bored and not actually get into work. And so now I'm my biggest thing is just work. Don't Don't focus so much on you know, doing things at the right time. I mean, once you get going long enough in this, this whole author career thing, you'll start recognizing what needs to be done and when, and you don't need to plan as much. And so, cause the planning, honestly, it was keeping me from getting work done. And so since I've stopped doing those huge calendars, I've actually produced and written a lot more books anyway. So the harder you work, the more luck you have. And it, it's true. You, you create luck. You don't, you don't happen upon it. You know, those overnight stories of people who became successful as authors, a lot of them had been, had been writing for years and years first. And so it wasn't like they just wrote one book and became a huge success. And actually, we're going to be talking about Twilight today. And that is exactly what Stephanie Meyer did, though a lot of people don't know this, but she'd been taking writing classes. She'd been doing creative writing for a very long time by the time she actually wrote Twilight. And so it's it's not necessarily her first book. It's her first book that got published. And so... You never know what goes on behind the scenes with these people. With these people. These people. With these people who are super successful. So the third email in the automation sequence, it you send it five days later. 
um, so the first, okay, so the first email you send immediately, the second email gets sent three days later, and email number three you send five days later. And the purpose of this email is to get people to connect with you on social media or wherever you spend time. Basically because the more connection points you have with them, the more likely they are to buy uh, because they start to get to know you. So you link to them, link them to your social media account, and then um, I like to take this um, email and start telling them, basically trying to make, you need to try to make yourself sound more human, and so you tell them about difficulties you had writing your book, basically to help them connect with you emotionally. And then let them know that you'll be telling them about the next book in the series soon, so that they're alerted to future selling on your part, and then ask them a question. And... The whole purpose of these automation sequences is to allow people to get to know you and to know, like, and trust you so that they are willing to buy when you, after you've fully prepped them. And so that's the tip for today. So we are going to get right into discussing Twilight. The way we were doing things before and we commented on it and then didn't quite figure out how to resolve it until uh, we sat down and figured out the reason why we want to talk about movies. We we basically broke movies and plots and stories into a whole bunch of different things, including characters and setting and and plot structure and the target audience, marking the film, conflicts, etc., things like that. And so with Twilight, rather than giving a synopsis of the show, we're going to talk about the different points that it hit or didn't hit. You ready? Yes. Okay. No! Sorry. Um <laughs> A little mood swing there. Yes, yes. That was uh, that was a twilight mood swing. Is that what you're getting that's at? That's what I'm getting. <laughs> All right, ready, set, go. Your turn first. My turn first. Okay, uh, what do we want to talk about first? Well, I was going to say, for me, it was almost impossible to separate Rift Tracks from the movie. It was absolutely impossible. Absolutely. You want to explain um, to them what Rift Tracks is? Rift Tracks is a downloadable commentary. You can listen while well, they make fun of the movie while you're watching it. And this is... Their greatest creation. It really is. Twilight is what got me and my husband together. Twilight with Rift Tracks. On our very first date, I told him, I, I found out he liked MST3K and he, he'd heard of Rift Tracks but hadn't ever listened to anything. And I was like, you need to watch Twilight with Rift Tracks. And he was like, yeah, we should do that. So we ended up doing that together sometime later. And it's kind of revolved around our relationship. The movie is is make funnable. I, I, I know that even huge fans of the book, they recognize that. There's so much dead air. Waiting for jokes to fill it. There is, and Rift Tracks fills the that dead air. So much staring <clears throat> and yeah, just stuttering. It's perfect opportunity to talk over what's going on in the movie. Exactly. So I figure what we'll do is we'll start at the top and just work our way through. Okay. And then we'll alternate like we did before. Hmm. Okay. So um, I have this as uh, other possible titles for this movie: teen drama, the movie. Restraining Order, the movie. <laughs> uh, awkward Staring, the movie. And Mood Swings, the movie. No. Yes. Yes, no. I mean, whatever. Anyway, yeah. So um, any of those are viable uh, subtitles for Twilight, the uh, franchise entirely. Um, but our first category we talk about is characters. And my first character I talk about is the annoying biology teacher. <laughs> are you serious? <laughs> I'd just like to apologize to the audience for annoying biology teachers. <laughs> Why? Because I'm an annoying biology teacher. <laughs> so what are you going to talk about for him? I mean... Nothing, that's it. There's just a guy, like, they spend way too much time in biology class. Like, I know they have biology class together, but it feels like it's the only class in the entire school because everybody, every character is in it, I guess. And you know what? Actually, I have that comment under setting. Biology is the only classes boring for readers. Like... It's like the same scene over and over again, basically. Metaphase. Metaphase. Yeah. Ah. So the first scene would have been fine. I mean, the first biology scene is fine. But, you know, when they go to the greenhouse, like, pick a different scene. Take You have a different teacher and go somewhere else, you know? Yeah. No. Too, too, I mean, I know it's school and you go there every day, but, geez. Anyway. Um, so characters. Um, we've got the two principal characters. Yeah. Bella Swan. Yep. And uh, Edward Cullen. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is kind of a, I don't want to say, it's not, it's not a love triangle yet, right? Because that doesn't happen until the second movie, really. Yeah. This is more of a star-crossed lovers getting together thing, like a Romeo and Juliet-esque thing. Yeah, very much. 
uh, feuding families, kind of. Because, you know, Bella's, uh, you know, just moves to a new town and she's very shy and very boring. And I don't understand why everyone's friends with her as soon as she moves to a new place. It's because she's new and that does happen. When you grow up with the same people all your life and you only see the same people, even if the person's... I'm used to being the new guy, so... <laughs> It's because your dad was in the Navy. You guys moved too much to actually get that growing up in the same town. And I got it. I mean. Fair enough. We never had new chew toys. That was like every 10 seconds. So it wasn't new. It wasn't normal. It was totally normal to have new people like all the time. Yeah. Yep. So my comment on characters is I was actually, I, there's a lot to make fun of when it comes to Twilight, but they do actually get some things right. Like the characters are fairly true to themselves. You know, they, they stick to their, what is the word, their littles. Whatever personality they choose to give them, they're consistent. Even the mood swings. Yes. <laughs> yeah, my favorite character is Charlie, but Bella and her awkward awkwardness, you know, uh, she Char- is awkward. Yeah. Charlie's right. like a very normal, stable person. I mean, he's law and order. I mean, he's he's a police officer. So he's he's got that um, steadiness, you know, follow the rules. And that's a very good contrast to what this, these characters are doing. Like, they even make comments about, I'm now I'm breaking all the rules, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. And he's, um, like Edward says that, and he's the opposite of Charlie. Because he's a murdering vampire, not a human police officer. He's a vegetarian vampire. Sure, whatever. Okay, so, any more comments on characters? Characters, yeah. Um, so, we haven't talked about Edward specifically. Brooding, uh, allegedly handsome, very pale. Ugh, lipstick. Yeah, not his shade. No. So he's like the loner hot guy, I guess. But he's not really a loner because he's got a family, sort of, of uh, <laughs> sexy uh, vampire brothers and sisters. That. <laughs> oh, family. A sexy, sexy family. family. <laughs> Thank you, Rift Tracks. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that are having relationships with each other. It's which weird. Is, which is super weird. I mean, it's not because they're like hundred, you know, like plus years. And they're old not and, even related. But and they're not related. But externally, it would look weird because they're all hanging out. Yeah, and they call Carlisle dad and 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 Esme mom. I mean, yeah. So, so there's that clan, and then there is the Native Americans. That doesn't really come until the second movie, but they they kind of allude to um, some friction between the the Cullens and themselves. Well. More important than them are the friends. Yes, and then there's also the uh, generic friends. We'll just count them as a character, I guess. And they re- represent, like, normal teenhood. Yeah. Which she breaks with. Mm-hmm. And she chooses to distance herself, and she becomes more distant as the movies progress. Yep. So, setting. Setting is the least uh, accurate representation of a real place that I've ever seen. <laughs> we went there on our honeymoon, so... <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to say it, because I was, if you uh, weren't. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, no, we went on uh, a road trip around where I grew up, which was not exactly by Forks, but in the Seattle Moore area. And he was um, like, we need to go see the Ho National Rainforest, which is the only national rainforest in the northern, in northern United America. States. Yeah. yeah, so we went there, and you have to go through Forks. To get there. So, of course, we stopped to make fun. <laughs> <laughs> and to have some Chinese food. Yes. Because that's what you do in Forks. I and guess. Forks does not look a thing like the movie. I mean, it's not even close. It's like a dry spot in Washington. It's very barren feeling. Like, there's a lot of dead. The green was on the outskirts. There was one oh, side yeah. of town that was very pretty, but then the other side where the high school was was very, very... The high school's like a giant metal silo. Yeah, thing. they were actually building, uh, building onto it when we yeah. were there because they got so much visitors from tourists so yeah there's there's a an aside here we're gonna have um they have twilight tours um so you can see all the places that aren't in the movie because it wasn't filmed there yes (laughs) and and there's like people actually go there actually expecting to find vampires yeah we talked to the gas station lady and we're like do you get tired of all the twilight people she's like yeah they keep asking me if there's vampires for real oh my goodness (laughs) where no really where are they She's like, there aren't any. It's just a movie. So my comment on the setting is, I actually think that they nailed the setting of the book because it's very paranormal romance. You know, it's very, it's kind of dark. It's it's green. It's blue. It's 
yeah. the skies overcast. Like I feel like they got the feel very, very well. Oh, they did. They did. Um, we, this is related to the mood, so we'll just kind of merge these. There's a heavy blue tint on the entire movie. Yeah, which they use to set the mood. It's it's also um, higher contrast. They they really deepen the shadows. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm taught using Photoshop terms. I know. I was just thinking that too. Uh, like they added a mask. It was a layer mask that was a brightness <laughs> contrast, and they really upped the contrast. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so heavy, con so heavy shadows and uh, bl very blue tinted everything. And how do you do that with writing? I mean, you it's this tone of writing that you set. Like you don't you, you're not flippant. You can be snarky and sarcastic, but not light feeling in in the way you write. You know. Yes. I mean, you don't say it's raining all the time and then mention the rain constantly. You don't have to do that. No. you Yeah, you do things that set the mood. So, I mean, a lot of internal monologue, a lot of thoughtfulness. Not a, I mean, Bella Bella's not a bubbly, outgoing character. She's quiet and very reflective. And so that sets the mood as well, you know. Most main characters of paranormal romance and urban fantasy aren't bubbly, outgoing. Sorry to Lizzie, the main character in my current <laughs> Coven Chronicles. She is bubbly and outgoing, but I've, it works for that. So my comment about setting was the high school size. There's way too many students there for how big the city is. <laughs> yeah, uh, the the high school. Yeah, there's like it's a town of three thousand people, and there's three thousand people like going to their high school. Yeah, the whole school, whole town is a high school. All right, I don't have any comments on plot or or uh, target audience, plot structure or target audience. What um, about you? Uh, it's a it's a classic three act structure, which we could talk about. Um, yeah, you can talk here. about it right now. So, so act one to me is um, she moves to Forks, meets Edward, and then I guess that's it, right? They have there's friction, right? Yeah. Initially, and I guess I don't know. I'm not sure how you would define the end of the act. Is that when they get together? I don't know. It kind of blends. Anyway, so that's like part one is the friction between the two. Act two is when they decide to be together, and then act three is the um, danger yeah. part where uh, James and the other vampires come in, and um, they're pursued and have to fight other vampires. Yeah. So those are the three main acts. So they they like. They don't want to be together. They don't like each other. Well, I guess he likes her a lot because he wants to eat, eat her. <laughs> then they're together, and then there's something comes up, and they have to overcome an obstacle to stay together. Mm -hmm. So those are the three. Target audience? Target audience. Middle-aged women who are into very pale British guys. <laughs> That's awful. Target audience would be women. I mean, ages 13 and older. That's pretty much who... The books. So actually, the target audience is mostly just fans of the books because not a lot of people went to the movie until word got out, and then people went who'd never read the book. But you know, they made it for the fans, basically. Yeah, Twilight moms. Yeah. Okay. So marketing of the film. Um, my comment here is the book did all of it. If it weren't for the book, the movie would have failed. It would have flopped hugely just because it was such an awkward movie. I mean, because look at Beautiful Creatures. That was actually a decent movie, you know. And um, what was the other one that we got? For Christmas, Mortal Instruments. Mortal or? Instruments. Like that was also a decent movie, but they had higher production quality, uh, higher production values than Twilight. Yeah. So they the books, and they also sold well. Yeah, the books did well as well. Oh, I oh, haven't Vampire. read either of those books. Vampire Academy. Vampire. What about it? It's awful. Oh yes, it was really bad. But I mean, but my point is, like this this movie. Why did these movies go so huge? Is because the book had gone. The book had done phenomenally well compared to other paranormal romance books you know it was it was very early in the paranormal romance um, the new life the new, cycle yes exactly life cycle all right so marketing the film do you have any comments on that one no that was good all right so conflicts 15 minutes in we get a glimpse of the bad guy conflict you know the bad guy james and and victoria and all of that what are your comments on the conflict uh, the conflict so edward so there's the conflict between Edward and Bella, um, between Edward and his family, because mm -hmm. they don't want him to be with her, between Bella and her father, because he doesn't want her to be with him. Yeah. Between Charlie and Edward, because he's dating his daughter. Yes. That's my does, favorite conflict, by the way. He does the shotgun. Charlie's training. my favorite everything. Yes, he does. Uh, he's the most relatable. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the point of him. He's a sympathetic, normal person. Yeah. He's the stable one, as you said earlier. Yeah. 
He's very, you know, routine, very boring, which is why his crazy ex-wife left him. Yeah. Bella's mom. Bella seems to be more like him anyway. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Oh, and the, there's the conflict between the vegetarian vampires and the non-vegetarian vampires. Yeah, so how do you think the conflict in this movie did, and how can we relate that to book writing? The, so, well, I've gone over a bunch of, there's a bunch of interconnecting conflicts. conflicts. Subplots, which gives a book, like, you want to have those types of things because it gives your book meat. It gives your book a feel of, like, a real world. It's not just two-dimensional. Yeah, life's complicated. Yeah. So it's not like, you know, like they just decide to like each other and then that's it. You no, know? Yeah. Like that that wasn't the only obstacle. Because once, once they decide that they want to be together, then they have the obstacle of their families. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And then... It is Romeo and Juliet. I exactly. Mean, it is. Because it's pretty much, pretty much straight up. I mean, there's not like... Well, the guy who dies at the end of the movie actually is dead already, so... <laughs> yeah. So I have com- comments on continuity. So I feel like they did fairly decent with the continuity. The movie does not feel like it veers from what they start out at. You know, they keep the same er- paranormal fantasy, parano- paranormal romance feel throughout. I liked the vampire eye color. I mean, this is something everybody knows about, but it's a really good little foreshadowing thing. So when Bella first points out that his eye colors changed. Uh, you know, and you're writing those things inside of inside of a book. You point that out, and sometimes, I mean, if you do it wrong, it makes it feel like you cha- accidentally changed the color of your character's eyes. But pointing it out is a great way to foreshadow something else. So she notices that his eyes are light colored, whereas the first time she met them, they were dark. You know, so that's that's a good little continuity thing because it's basically it's not an error; it's a sign. You know, mm-hmm. okay. plot versus character. This is very character driven. Yeah. Things don't happen randomly to these people. It's not like a disaster movie. No, yeah. Or where there's like bombs going off. Yeah, or some sort of ex- yeah. There's or like even like a James Bond movie where there's like a lot an external time thing. You know, like we have yeah. to get the bomb before, or there's a volcano erupting, or yeah. whatever. Um, the characters drive the enti- this entire plot. Yeah, even when it comes to Victoria and James, that's character driven too because they, you know, they choose to come and visit the baseball field, baseball game, and that is a character choice. That's not something that's thrown upon them by the plot, you know. Exactly. So, is I mean, plot versus character. I mean, I'm going to have to say a lot of people say your book should be character driven. I say it depends on the genre. And I mean, you want to have a lot of character driven aspects, but some genres need more plot driven uh structures. Structures, yes. Yeah, um, I mean, this one is entirely character-driven. That works for this. I mean, if you make it work, then so be it. Yeah, she did a great job of making it character-driven. Yes. Yeah, all of the conflicts are character-driven conflicts. Yeah. So. Dialogue. Let's have at it. Bad and poorly delivered. Um, (laughs) (laughs) With lots of... Unnatural. Pauses. And... Throughout. And the... And... No, I can't... And... Uh, Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. All right. Okay. See you tomorrow. All the time. Like <laughs> I was like, is that? Did they just do one take and that was like the whole thing? Didn't they have a dialogue coach? I anything? mean, like in the book, it was kind of that way, you know. But there's there's a point where you're making your point, and then where it's I don't know. So sometimes it's okay to have somebody have a pause in the middle of their sentence because it places emphasis on the sentence. But when every single sentence is delivered first half, second half. I mean, all the characters, except for Charlie. Uh, but Bella and Edward were both doing that repeatedly throughout the whole movie, you know? I, I feel like that was the director's choice. I'm not sure if that's a like actor thing, because... Well, they do it in all the movies, too. It's really yeah. ridiculous. Because <laughs> it's, like, really You need to really watch these pauses. movies with riff tracks, because they have so much fun filling in those blanks. <laughs> they, they give so much time. They have... They fit whole sentences of comedy in between her pauses. And his. And his. I feel especially hers. very <laughs> protective of you. And they're like, <laughs> retracts, I feel very gassy. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, those of you who are offended by that very amateur and very juvenile comment. <laughs> yeah, if you don't like like uh, potty humor, then don't listen to the Rift Tracks. Well, Rift Tracks doesn't always have potty humor. I don't like potty humor, and I well. love Rift Tracks. <laughs> okay, so my comment on dialogue is, you know, slow, unnatural from the get-go, but there's, you know, I like it that there's a little bit of humor throughout, you know? Each of the characters have 
have a little bit of, of comedy in, in what they say. So like Jessica, when she's like, nobody here is good enough for him. And Edward smiles, you know, it's just a little, a light touch of comedy. And, um, let's see my con let's add a comment on it's complicated and Edward is like, I'm sure I can keep up. And she's like, well, divorce and remarry. Divorce and remarriage are very common. That's not complicated. I would have fixed that dialogue. Yeah, that's not that. Whoa, slow down. <laughs> that's too many, too many details. Then one more comment on dialogue. She says that you talk like you're from a different time. And in the book, she actually, Stephanie Meyer actually did it. You know, she did deliver on that. But in the movie... This is not something that we've seen. It's something she's telling us, you know? Yeah, he talks like a normal person. Yeah. Maybe with like a little bit of a muddled accent. He likes to Christopher Walken on occasion. <laughs> He's walking again. <laughs> Turned into Christopher Walken for a moment. <laughs> Especially when they're on and outside the restaurant going in. Yes. So, yeah, it was... It feels like it's sometimes like they were reading the lines out of the book. Yeah. And I don't mean that in a good way. I mean, like, they had, like, the cue card right there. Yeah. Especially her opening um, thing, where, like, under a constant... You Cloud know, of rainfall, or... Constant cover of clouds and rain. It's like she's reciting something. It's not something a teenager would naturally say. Even one that's more... What's the word? Reflective, like Bella, you know? Yeah. It, yeah, they just didn't... None of it really felt right to me. I don't know. And... You know, there's there's a lot of things that, and like I was saying, there are things in this movie that I'm like, wow, they actually nailed that. You know, they they got a lot of things right, but there there are a bunch of things they did wrong that we can't apply. So my comment, I think it was when we were doing Star Wars, was read your dialogue out loud, copy down what people around you are saying, and just make sure it feels like it's natural. It feels like it just falls from somebody's lips. You know, one thing that they did do well was each of the characters sound appropriate for who they are you know like edward doesn't sound like a teenage girl halfway through the movie you know and so because that's actually a problem that some one of my uh, author acquaintances writes a lot of tween books and she wrote a, a romance for adults and when i read it it felt like it was a 13 year old girl acting as the boy and so i mean stephanie meyer did a decent job at that you know yeah yeah um i mean you know charlie sounds like a dad, a dad a dad cop yeah and uh Got, got your mace? Yeah, dad. <laughs> and he, yeah, his his lines stay consistent. Because sometimes, like, somebody, you know, like, in poorly written movies, they, don't, they say something or do something completely out of character in order to drive the plot forward or to create a unnatural conflict, conflict because yeah. they didn't write that in well enough. And so all of a sudden this person is, like, yelling for no reason. Yeah. That doesn't happen in this. No, it does not. Okay, so let's talk about the romance. What are your comments on the romance? Uh, one <laughs> One star. <laughs> oh, man, that's harsh. Um, sorry. <laughs> That's why I love you. In the scene where they're like having their first real talk with the armadillo and her mouth shelf. is open. Yeah. The armadillo that's there and then not there and then there again. Yeah. Um, I do like that when, um, when you see him, when they're actually going to talk cause they, they meet and then he leaves for like a long time and then comes back. But so the first time we see him, he's like evil. And the second time he sees him, he's got angels framing him, angel wings framing him. It's really an owl, but it looks like angel wings. That's a really nice touch actually. Not sure if that was on purpose, but good for I you. think it was on purpose. Yeah, but yeah, that first talk is probably one of the... That first conversation in the book was a lot of fun. It was electrifying, electrifying, and they did not convert it well to, you know, the screen. Pity. Yeah. Well, my comment here is... So, my comment here with the romance is all the guys are interested in Bella, which to me is believable because, first off, we moved a lot, and then when we moved into where we're living now as a child, when we where my parents are living now, uh, you know, people that wouldn't have been interested in me had we grown up together were interested in me. And so, you know, it's believable. They grew up, all these people grew up together and she's new and mysterious and she's not hideous. You know, she's, I think she's pretty. She has very pretty eyes and I love her hair. Anyway, so Edward and his aura, he attracts everyone. Jessica loses her train of thought when she's around him. It They don't, in the book, like the romance was so, it was so much stronger than in the movie. And it's really hard to convert that, but I th feel like they could have written it better. You know, the screenplay, my comment when, okay. So when he says, and so the lion fell in love with the lamb at this point, all we've had is a couple scenes of them together and then her saying what he is. And I feel like they, they, it didn't feel like they're in love, not even really in lust, you know, just or even in like, 
At this point in the book, even just infatuation was believable. In the movie, it they didn't even have that. They should have had one. They should have had that line after going to his house and after you know spending a whole lot of time together. You know, after going to his house, they could have had him be like, and so the lion fell in love with the lamb because after they spend time together at his house and she knows what he is, it feels more believable that they're falling in love. You know, which is a great line. It's actually I actually made a note that that's good. The and so the lion fell in love with the lamb. Yeah. He's opening up his notebook right now. Oh yeah, so actually these are character things that I should have mentioned when we were talking about character stuff. A Bella Swan quote here. Dying in the place of someone I love is a good way to, to go. What about that? That that line happens while Edward is chasing a fawn in the forest and catches it to eat. So, I don't know. That, and so, that's that. did you like it? Did you not like it? No, it's a good line and that immediately shows what kind of a person she is. So when someone comes along who wants to eat her. She'd be more willing to give, give up herself. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. The, the lion, in this case, uh, Edward. Cool loner dude I have as a, his archetype, if you will. Yes. <laughs> anyway, so I, I agree. The, those are good lines. Um, I just think they were poorly timed and delivered. And maybe not so much Bella's. Although I don't like the opening of the movie. I don't think it didn't show what the movie's about, I guess. I don't know. It's just like a fawn running around and then some dude's arms come out of the side of the screen and that's it. Mm-hmm. While there's some dialogue. Not the strongest opening. I agree. I'm not sure what I would do better. I think actually like showing the band vampires doing stuff or actually the, the scene where they have the Jacob's exposition story would have maybe been a better opening. I don't know. So um, going on to the antagonist-protagonist relationship backstories, I've got a ton of comments here. So my feeling as I was watching this movie was Edward is the antagonist and the protagonist. Because the whole throughout the movie, he believes he's the bad guy. Bella is positive he isn't. He's putting off that persona, but it isn't really who he is. That's what she believes. But Edward and... So Edward is dangerous. He's He is the main danger to Bella. Not, not those vampires, because if it weren't for him, she wouldn't have met the vampires anyway. But... Him not killing her is the whole point of the movie. And so I feel like he's both the protagonist and the antagonist here. Interesting point. Yeah, this, all of the danger in this movie comes from him or is a result of her knowing him. Yeah, so I'm wondering, is that a trope of paranormal romance? I don't know. Um, I, I do see it in a lot of paranormal romance, so maybe it is, you know? It's certainly a common one if, if it's not a rule. Yeah. By their very nature, being dangerous is, is very common. Yes. So it's, it's something about the nature of whatever creature or powers that one of them has makes it difficult for them to be together by their very nature, like yeah. I said. Yep. So it's not conflicts between groups, but conflicts between beings. Because obviously yep. humans and vampires can't date because vampires eat humans. So yeah. Especially when you're the most delicious human he's ever smelled. So. <laughs> and was it... Oh, you've not read the books. Um, I can't remember. I think it was Emmett who came across... His, I don't, what did, what is a, what is it, Aro calls him, Dolce something or whatever. It's like mm-hmm. the blood that calls you the most, and Emmett actually destroyed the chick who called to him that much, and... He couldn't resist. He couldn't so resist. Eat her there. And so. everybody, ev- I mean, everybody understands why he would do it, because it calls to him so much, you know? That's yeah. something they don't really pull into the movies as much. She, she's your favorite flavor, and then he managed to not destroy her yeah which shows you know how how self-contract yeah he's how strong of a character edward is okay so do you have comments on number 12 the tone and all that uh tone mood um, colors technical aspects soundtrack camera angles yeah i talked more about this in the beginning where it's there's a blue tint to everything yeah Mm -hmm. and where the contrast is high or at least they turned up the shadows anyway because the whites aren't really wider no yeah very dark very many shadows so my comment was the special effects suck (laughs) the vampire actions are cheesy yeah their poses are really bad like especially during the baseball scene where they square off against each other it's just awkward team cullen versus team uh james and victoria stupid looking vampire their costumes are absurd um i feel like this is like a thing that they do with vampires in every stinking movie in the universe, vampires just look stupid and dress stupid. <laughs> you don't Stop feel, it. You don't feel strong Stop about it now. that, do you? No. Like, look friggin' cool. Or look archaic and out of place. Well, Angel, I mean, Angel, you know, he's got his long leather trench coat. No, he's, he's all right. But, I mean, like, generally, they have them be, I don't know, like, they just walked out of some As Rift Track says, I make my own clothes. I make my own clothes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, 
vampires are not cool. They should in be. Twilight. They should be cool, and they're not cool. They're they're either like average high school person or dressed stupidly in the entire series. Like when they get all the people, all the vampires together in the last movie as a contrast, which we haven't talked about yet. But just so you know, everyone looks dumb in the last movie too. They have like ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know. Like they have like this vampire subculture that just doesn't know what they're doing. They have My a lot of time. Is way he knows fashion pretty well and. He likes uniforms and things like that. So he pays attention to, like, in Star Wars, how they dress, how they look, and things like that. So he notices that quite a bit. I mean, like, it's a movie, so it's visual storytelling. What are you trying to tell me about this character who wears this giant white fur wrap thing? You know, in my personality, I don't notice things that people are wearing, but I noticed what they were wearing. And I was like, it's kind of, it just, I was like, it's just a little too on the nose, you know? Why do all the weird dude vampires not have shirts on? Like, none of them wear shirts for some reason. I don't know why. James and Laurent? Yeah, Laurent. They, neither of them wear shirts. He looks better in the second movie, Laurent does. I like his suit. Anyway. Yeah. But, like, you've got, like, infinite time and, like, money, and you can steal, like, whatever you want, and, like, you just run around without a shirt on and some crappy jeans, like, low-rise jeans. No. Okay. <laughs> I don't mind James' jeans. I don't either. I mean, it's a look. And, like, his, he looks better with me. He gets the jacket. But he should still put a shirt on, for heaven's sake. His ponytail is ridiculous, too. Anyway. <laughs> okay. So I feel strongly <laughs> about how they portray the bad vampire. Because it makes them look silly. Like, yeah, they're supposed James to be menacing. Yeah, James not scary. They're not that scary. That was my comment about him, is he's not scary as an antagonist. He was. He was scary in the book. Like, you know, he was... You get, like... He a, did a good job at that in the book. You get a little bit of scariness. Just kind of how flippant he is. Like, he breaks her leg or something like that, and he's... And he doesn't have any problem with that. Yeah, or he's like, oh, I borrowed this from your house. Hope you don't mind. And he's, like, being yeah, falsely I, polite. Yeah, I like that about him. But it, he... I, I think that the actor probably wasn't the best choice for the role, you know? I really like Cam... Whatever you say. How do you say his last name? I don't remember. Yeah. I like him as an actor and everything, but I just yeah, I it's know. not. I don't. I don't blame the actor. Honestly, I just think it was just a creative choice that a lot of things didn't go right with that. And the special effects, all the wire work was not great. Yeah, them running. He did a good enough job, like emoting being angry. Who Edward James? Or James. Yeah, no, he did. I mean, I believed he was angry when he was angry and hunting them. I thought that was perfectly fine. Yeah. And I liked. I liked him in this like. The dialogue he and Bella have in the... The climax. In the almost fight scene, or right before it happens, in the ballet theater. Yeah. I wanted more of that. Yeah. Otherwise, he didn't really that kind of, It was kind of like a flirtatious teasing. Yeah, I like that. Because he, was, he was playing with his food. Yeah. Yep. And that really showed... The danger there. Yeah. And I like I wanted more of that. Like, that he that nailed it for me. Yeah. More of that would have been... Because he does, like, say, oh, you brought a snack, but that, then they leave. Yeah. There's just not enough of that. Mm-hmm. And then they're apart because he's chasing them, but they're not together. I mean, yeah, I like it when the bad guy interacts with the... Th- there wasn't enough interaction. Yeah, exactly. But there without monologuing. Without monologuing. <laughs> yes. And, and you can have books where the main characters don't interact. I mean, I've, I've, I've had several that, were, that are successful, you know, that have done very well where the, ba- the characters don't interact. But I feel like in this one, the way she created it was more... It's more intimate, and so having more discussion between the her, you know, Bella and James would have been really good, you know? And I can't remember how they did it in the book, but in the movie, it could have been a little bit... Yeah, they had the potential. They had some moments where it really worked, and I, I, I felt the danger, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that came through, but a little too late. It should yeah. have been earlier. All right, so number 13, my comment here with the inciting incident, and... So is the inciting incident when she meets Edward or when he stops the van? Um, I'd have to say stops the van. Yeah, I think I say the van because meeting a cute guy who's slightly mysterious isn't really an inciting incident because that happens. We but the inciting incident is when you know, when normality is is broken. And is that's broken. 21 minutes into the movie out of uh 2 hours. Yeah, I would I don't know, inciting incident should be more like 10 minutes into the movie. I feel like that's a little late. Um, you don't get, aside from the little flash at the very beginning during the opening monologue thing, 
nothing happens for like 20 minutes. It's like her moving and going to high school for 20 minutes. And and that's, we talk about pacing next, and I was actually okay with the pacing because oh. I am more of a target audience than you Fair are. And I so, was like, when are they going to fight to the death? Yeah. There's, there hasn't been an explosion in like three minutes. Yeah, no, I and I'm I was more okay with the pacing because they're developing the relationship. She's getting to know the characters, and with the romance and paranormal romance, to any sub any subplot or subgenre of romance, you need to have the character relationships be paramount. And so I felt like that was going well. Like we got to know Charlie, we got to know Mike and Jessica and Angela and all that, you know. And so I'm sorry. <laughs> so they, we can disagree. We're different people. It's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I thought I. I don't know. It's, it's too late for me. I would have liked to have seen something earlier on, in my opinion. I think that's her having... She should have already moved there, I guess. And then, like, they could have taken it over from that spot, I guess. Mm -hmm. And it shaved, like, ten minutes off the beginning. Mm -hmm. I would have liked it better, I think. You would have liked it better? If they that shaved... shows that you like it somewhat. I like it somewhat. I watched it, like, nine million times. <laughs> that's true. But that's not just because... That's just because of the rift tracks, though, right? Even without it, they echo in my head. I can't get it. You can't unhear, yes. So let's talk about research and all the rest of it. Then we'll come back to the climax and epilogue resolution, just because that is the oh, end I have movie. A, few, a couple more pacing things. Okay, go um, ahead. So it's 50 minutes into the movie before she says vampire. Oh, wow, yeah. So halfway through before... That would be normally when, like, a big... I guess that is kind of a big conflict thing. I, you know, I'm going to say reading the book, I absolutely love that we didn't find out for a while. That he it's was okay. A they don't. Find, it's okay. Cause I, yeah. I read twilight when it had been published for like a month or two and nobody was talking about, it, nobody had heard of it. And I didn't even know it was a, a vampire book. My friend loaned me the book without the dust jacket. And so I didn't have a description of it. And this was back before I was using Amazon a lot. And so, so reading the book, I had no idea he was a vampire and it was, it was, a, it was fun to discover you know, all the little the little hints and things, which they did not do a good job. That's what I'm saying. Like 50 minutes in, you say vampire. Like if it were like a thing she was really trying to discover and it was like a big revelation instead of her Googling it, like literally she Googles it. Yeah. Um, then it may have had more impact to me. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, but I feel like that wasn't, she and wasn't putting really trying two and two to... together with vampire to cold ones. I mean, it, the yeah. movie did not show a good climb, a good no, like realization. Her, her putting two to two together is her seeing like a dead body and realizing the dead body's cold. And then she goes and Googles it. And she, yeah, he's cold when she touches him. And that's, I don't know. And I, I look at that. I'm like, I still don't see that. She's thinking the body's cold. I see her looking at a dead body. I don't, you know? Yeah. And I was like, Oh wait. Cause like she has that aha like face. Yeah. And I was like, wait, that's when she puts it together to go Google it. No. Yeah. Not believable, sorry. Any other comments on pacing? Uh, the third act starts at an hour and 21 minutes. That's when they meet the bad vampires. So the last, you know, 40 minutes are... That's a goodly chunk of action. Like, yeah. it's the last third of the movie. Yeah. So the, the pacing is really not too bad. I just... I don't know. I, it's I, not... I liked, you're not the target audience. I would so have liked it's... it a little more front-loaded, personally. And I have a comment about the climax that we'll get to that kind of talks about that. But... So, can we go on to research and all that? Sure. Okay, so research Bell in the truck, and this is a comment that Rift Tracks makes, but honestly, uh, Bella, if she doesn't know for sure which one the clutch is, she's not going to know how to do anything, you know, double pumping, you know, <laughs> any of that. There's no way she's going to know how to drive an unsynced, you know. Manual transmission. Yeah, and so that's something that needed research. And then also Tyler with his head injury, Dr. Carlisle would have checked him first. Doesn't matter how much he knows Bella. This guy just slammed his head on a on a glass, and Bella didn't even get touched, and he totally bypasses Tyler. You know, he has a, like a butterfly bandage on his forehead. I, I think that scene's kind of fun. Retracts <laughs> makes it more fun, but <laughs> yes, I love Charlie in that scene. You can say goodbye to your license. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he's amazing. I'm sorry, I kind of have a crush on Charlie. Don't feel <gasps> threatened. <laughs> With the mustache, without Is it the, the mustache. mustache. Well. I... <sighs> Without it, he's not as good. I like I don't, him with it. I don't look right with a mustache. I look shady with a mustache. <laughs> Maybe you haven't grown a long and thick enough one. Uh, you saw that one. It was out. <laughs> wait, it was like... That's true. All right. Okay. So what are your comments on research? So <laughs> having grown up in the area, they're like, oh, I'm Mason County. Mason County's not adjacent to them. So what the heck? Can you right? explain I don't, that? So they I don't, don't think. Because like Forks is way on the other end of the state. Mm-hmm. And then Mason County is adjacent to the county I lived in. So what, give it context. What does Mason County mean to the show right here? Uh, they, uh, so Charlie's pursuit, like, uh, there's an animal attack, I guess, and somebody died. Yeah. 
and he goes to investigate like two counties over. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't need him to go investigate. That's right. Two especially counties since over. Forks is such a small city, they would pull from Seattle rather than pulling from Forks. Not, from, not necessarily from Seattle, but I mean, who cares? It's two counties over. Mm-hmm. Like nobody cares what happens two counties over, police-wise, unless it's like really big. But one death is not really big. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, it is, uh, and especially for an animal attack, not a murder. Yeah. Right? Because they suspect it's an well, animal Well, it's attack. such a weird animal attack, I think, is what they're sure going Sure it is, by. but he's, he's not animal control. He's a police officer. Yeah. He's not, He's not. you know, the Department of Game and Resources or whatever. I mean, they'd have forest guys out there probably. I don't know. So I have a note here to t- have you talk about cleaning guns and ammunition. Yeah, so don't have ammunition around the gun you're cleaning, like, ever. So This is try- when you're writing your stories. You need to understand about guns and ammunition and, and basic rules when it comes to them. Just to make your characters feel believable. So those people who don't know much about guns, you know, when in that scene where they're they're cleaning the gun, explain to them why. Yeah, you, you're supposed to take an unloaded firearm you're cleaning, unlo- make sure it's unloaded, and take it to, like, a different room where the ammunition is not, for safety reasons. Yeah. And he's drinking... It's a different frame of mind. I like the <laughs> yes, point that you yeah, made. Yeah, and he's drinking beer with a stack of ammo on the table, Yeah. cleaning his double-barreled shotgun... I, I thought it was single barrel. Maybe single. I don't know. I couldn't see. It Might have been double. Um, so he's doing that. And there's <laughs> like three things wrong. Well, I, I mean, a lot of people time. do that anyway. But I would say with, with if you're writing a character who uses guns a lot, like CIA or FBI, you, they're going to know these things and they're going to adhere to them, you know? They're very yeah. careful when it comes to gun rules and things like that. So Twilight, safety violation, not good. I do like that he drinks a lot of Rainier beer. So. Why? It's just a, I don't know, everyone drank it there. <laughs> Not everybody, little, but I mean, it was... Little um, vitamin R, little vitamin Rainier. Yeah, I like Rainier cherries. Mm-hmm. They're yellow. Anyway, yeah, so, and uh, when they, they kill the first guy in the hard hat, the, the bad vampires is they. They are the bad vampires. They do it at, like, a power plant or something? They're at some sort of industrial site that says Gresham on it, and Gresham is in Oregon. It's by Portland, it's... It's east of Portland. It's east of Portland. It's like the next town over. It's not in Mason County <laughs> um, at all. So. We need to Google. Maybe there is a Gresham out there, but I don't think so. Like, there's not a whole lot of I did. No, I, I, I tried to find it, and I couldn't find one. So if there's a Gresham, Washington, that's in Mason County, um, I couldn't find it. So that was kind of weird. And then they say and then they say that the they track some footprints, but they're human, and they're heading east into Kitsap County. That's true if they're talking about Mason County. <laughs> and everyone really cares about the map of Washington. Look up a map of Washington. These places are not next to each other. Um, so I was confused uh, being somewhat familiar with the local uh, terrain, what they were talking about. Because I thought they were talking about Forks, you know, in Forks saying they were heading east towards Kitsap County. Kitsap County is like three counties over. So the point is do your research on the area before you write your story. Yeah, like the like they were confusing me. Yeah, you want to make it so that people that are from that area don't bat an eye. Yeah, and they're, like it's not really detailed information either that they're getting into. It's not like you turn on the street and down this alley, you know, it's like very it's general. Big, big, big geography. So it, it it threw me off quite a bit, and I was just like, what? On, where on earth are they? <laughs> I mean, I, I grew up in Kitsap County, which is the one east of Mason County. So if they're talking about that, then that's true. Yeah. And I went to college in Portland, and I've been in Gresham several times. So, I mean, I, I know the area well enough to be confused by their lack of specificity yeah so um i like trivia and and changing our format made it makes it hard for me to give trivia so i added a section in for trivia uh angela's glasses those are her own pair of glasses that she's wearing the actual actual actresses and then robert pattinson he actually plays the piano and he contributed two songs to the soundtrack which would be the one while they're in the diner and eating and then in the part where he's drinking her blood this sounds yeah that's pretty much it oh yes and Kristen stewart smiles 35 times in the movie i don't believe it (laughs) why you believe she smiles less i i I don't think her like single side of her mouth grimace (laughs) as she does is smiling (laughs) and then okay so two of the characters had to they had to learn how to play baseball left-handed and i don't understand why i still don't understand why couldn't they just flip the scene you know why do they have to make them play left-handed um because that's the way you're supposed to play (laughs) whatever 
He's left-handed, by the way. <laughs> you should see the expression on his face. So it's total snobbery. It's totally normal to learn how to play left-handed. <laughs> Whatever. That's the way the game should be played. <laughs> oh, and back to the baseball thing. So um, there's there's a part where Laurent um, has the baseball, and he does this limp-wristed throw to uh, what's his name, Carlisle, the dad vampire. And it's it's slow in his frame, and then they switch to Carlisle's frame, and it's going like ninety miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and the ball is CG. Um, it's not when he throws it, but it is when he catches it, and you can tell if you're paying attention. They actually did a decent job on the CG. And then Carlisle throws it back, and Victoria catches it, and that's CG also. The shadows are slightly off on the ball, but um, if you watch the special features a million times, they actually do that scene. You can see it without the ball. It's kind of funny. <laughs> Them like play catching nothing. So I've got comments here on show and tell. Um, Billy and Edward, when they see each other for the first time, their interactions show how they feel about each other, and there's zero words involved other than him saying complications. He was like, complications are coming in. He's like, I gotta go. And then he drives off and he passes Billy and Billy's coming up. And the, the, the way they look at each other, that does, that does miles and miles of good for showing us how they interact with each other. You know, the, the werewolves versus the vampires. Right. And we don't even know they're werewolves yet. No. We don't know that at all from this movie. So, so that's one example of good show and tell. A, a bad example of show and tell is when James says, you're faster than the others. They should have foreshadowed that. None, if you're watching the movie, you wouldn't know that Edward is the fastest one. You only know that because you've read the book. They do mention it during the baseball scene where Edward is pretty fast or something like that. They oh, mention he's it. pretty fast. I don't know. Edward's really fast. But that's, I don't, I but they still don't show it. casual. They, exactly, because they don't show him out fasting someone, like being faster than somebody else. Yep. They do in the book, like that's one thing that I, why I knew completely about Edward is that he's fast, you know. So that's good for book writing, but we're talking about the movie here and applying that to books. So make sure, I mean, you don't want, I mean, any info dump of any sort is uncomfortable, you know. Let's see. Um, okay, so let's go back to climax, the epilogue, and resolution. No climax for them. <laughs> oh, jeez. That's, that's my first comment. <laughs> There's no climax for them. Oh, jeez. Um... The monk-like um, Edward denies himself the the pleasure of killing her and the pleasure of coupling with her. So. Oh, jeez, Nolan. <laughs> You're so evil. Um, they're parallel, though. I mean, they really they are. are. They're yeah. connected. They um, are. Because it would be, and he keeps saying, like, killing you would be, like, the best thing, like, the most amazing thing ever. Like, yeah. you would be the most delicious thing I could think of yes. in, in the entire universe forever, and nobody would ever taste as good as you. And, um... He doesn't do it. I mean, he does get a taste, but he stops, stops himself. Yep. And they do make out a little bit, but he stops himself. So, yeah. and he says, I'm stronger than I thought. Yeah. So good for him. That is good, actually. I mean, good character building there. Yeah, I mean, no, it's no. almost impossible for, I mean, it's not as realistic for, you know. <laughs> yeah, real teenagers. <laughs> well, he's get, also not a teenager. Get pregnant. <laughs> he's had lots of years of experience. So my comment on the climax is it's violent and it's very graphic for the movie. It doesn't jive with the rest of the movie. I feel like they should have shown some of that bone breaking and bleeding when the vampires attacked in other scenes. And that would have made the movie more interesting throughout. Made It would have made the tension higher and more believable with that climax. That's true because you don't really see what vampires can do to each other. There's not really not really anything like that. You're right. That's That's a really good point. Because, um, I mean, the guy viewers, men would have enjoyed it more if there had been more. They have, like, a scuffle, nothing big. And you see them just kind of, like, how fast they move and how strong they are. Yeah. Uh, plus the end fight scene is just them throwing each other a lot. And holding each other by the throat. Yeah, and which is... And staring into like, each other's eyes. And they do it in the dark, and I think they did that to save on special effects. Probably. He, um, the, the lighter something is, the more well-lit something is, the harder it is to fudge. So one of the books that I, I read for an author friend a while ago was, it was absolutely fantastic, but then the end was very graphic and violent, while the rest of the movie wasn't. The rest of the movie, rest of the book. So, I mean, if if you've got that problem in your book, you either need to tone down the climax or add in that sort of graphic feel throughout the rest of the story, you know? Yeah, you don't want the tone to be uneven. Yeah. So we should have seen, when they attack the vita, vi the humans, we should have seen blood. We should have maybe seen a, bro a bone break, see them play with them just a tiny bit. Because, I mean, in like Jurassic Park, for instance, you All know... All the deaths happen off camera. 
They do have like the, the guy, the hard hat, like you just see like the shadow of him like mm-hmm. being attacked by them. Yeah. And, and that's then... fine. But like Jurassic Park, at least vamp up to it. Like in Jurassic Park, the goat, you see goat blood, you know, before you see human blood and a goat broken leg before you see a human broken leg. Yeah. There, there's a lot more dispersed in uh, Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Park. Yeah. So that was my point that they could have made the movie they could have made the movie more applicable to a wider audience and have a better tone throughout when it came to the the violence and things like that. More violence is basically our advice. <laughs> or less in the climax, you know. Uh, no. No, no, no. I would have liked more just because I like writing books that are more action-oriented, yeah, you know. And less wire work. Oh, less wire work. Less unconvincing like wire work. Peter Pan. Yeah, I mean, it's cool. If you do wire work and you do it convincingly, then I don't care. But it... Just didn't quite jive. Yeah. Um, hey, I used the word jive right here, too. Yeah, and the special effects for the vampires in general were not good. Like, when they, they were fast, all it did was make them blurry. They weren't really, like, moving any faster than normal. Or, when, like, when Edward's, like, doing his super jump mm-hmm. in the forest, and it's just, like, a normal person jump, but blurry. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, like, I could jump that far anyway. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's, it's just awkward. And, you know, you don't got the budget. That's fine. But find other ways to tell that story because they had even more special effects in like the 50s and 60s but they could still tell a story so yeah so epilogue and resolution charlie and edward their character their interactions i love it they're just so awkward around each other true to their characters you know charlie hates edward at this point because he broke bella's heart and then appeared and bella forgave him for no reason you know because charlie didn't see all of that happen yeah and then a little last little bit of trivia um, Victoria's actually in the prom. If you see when Edward and Bella walk through the doors, you actually see Victoria at the slot machines behind them, and they actually focus on her for a couple of seconds. So be watching for that. I'm not sure what, how applicable that is to writing a book, but yeah, it's, it's just fun. Well, it's nice to... You could just weave that in. You see somebody, you know, you just briefly mention a little thing, and it matters later. It's always yeah. fun when you make those connections later. I was going to say something. It's gone now. Oh, yeah. Edward places a lot of emphasis on tradition he does he does in the books quite heavily yeah so i'm um, they go to prom and he says it's an important rite of passage he's been yes. like nine million times he does or maybe he, i don't yeah. know he um, wants her to experience it exactly and like you know how many times they've graduated from high school and all their graduation caps yeah they, they didn't skip house. graduations even though you know yeah he goes through, tradition he goes through the process and you know he goes through the marriage process and the engagement thing starts in the next movie. Um, but it's very important to him um, at all time. And he, that's another thing that he demonstrates consistently throughout this movie and the entire series. Yeah. So what movie did we decide we were going to do next? The next um, Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah. We're doing the next Jurassic Park movie next. So because we're in March now and these all of these episodes will be going live in the next actually episodes 1 through 5 should be going live in the next few days but oh yes um i forgot in celebration of releasing the podcast we're going to do our first sell on my courses so my marketing courses i've got one on automation sequences one on and it's much more in depth than than these tips i've been getting here giving here i've got one on big bang promotions basically how to run them how to how to apply you know up your chances of getting accepted by bookbub I've got one on reviews, getting reviews and getting subscribers and, oh man, what is the other one? Do you remember? Sorry, I don't. <laughs> anyway, so we're going to be doing a 40% off coupon for launch week and this, let's see, I need to actually, okay, I'm not sure when this is going to be airing. What What's the date right now? It's the yeah. 8th. So this will probably be airing next 14th or something. So if you want to get my courses for 50% off. So the automation sequence course is $50 and you can get it for $25. So we'll do podcast launch. That's all uppercase letters. And I'm writing it down just to see if, yeah, podcast launch, all uppercase letters you have until March 24th to do that. How's that sound? Sounds good. Okay. So March 24th at midnight is when that coupon code expires and we are in year 2018, so if you're listening to this in 2019, I'm sure I'll do another sell eventually. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so any closing thoughts on this movie before we uh, go? Yeah, why was uh, the guy in the van speeding into the parking lot? Oh, yes. Instead of, like, usually people speed out of parking <laughs> lots, leaving school. Just going, what is it, going 60 miles an hour through the parking lot like I always do. 
Thank you, Rift Tracks. Yeah, no, but it's true because like it just looks ridiculous. Because I'm like, why is he doing that? Yeah, I don't know. Kind of just I, I had some random notes here, and that was one I didn't mention. That's like a research thing, right? Yeah, like La Push. We almost went to La Push. Yeah, we almost went to La Push, and then we changed our minds. And I kind of wish we had gone. Yeah, it was like forty-five minutes away or something. Like that. Yeah, quite a bit out of our ways, and we already went to the beach. We wanted to get to the Ho National Rainforest. Yeah. Which is beautiful, and you should go. Oh my gosh, it is absolutely fantastic. The book covers for my old Kalina series, which you can still see the key of Kalina on, on Amazon, all of those book covers were actually taken in Ho National Rainforest. It is, it's absolutely beautiful there. Anyway, um, any closing comments? Where can people find you, all of that? Um, you can find me at work most days and home. The other part Preparing of the day. to move. Uh, yes, uh, trying to figure out how to move all this crap. Uh, I mean, stuff, all this wonderful stuff. Yes. And you can find me at Andrea at selfpublishedstrong.com. You can go to my website, andreapearsonbooks.com, for my fiction. Or, oh, yes, when you when you want to use those course the course coupon, go to selfpublishedstrongcourses.com and pick which one you want to do and then put in podcast launch as the the coupon code, and that expires March 24th at midnight. And I don't know what time zone. <laughs> Probably Pacific time zone. I try to make everything go to that. Anyway, if you have any questions, go ahead and send me an email. And thank you for listening. Goodbye. Bye.